So, I hit the button, and it looks like it's time to start. This is Lady Jane Unknown. At least, I have felt like I have been unknown to myself and most of everyone around me. It's hard to stay small when you feel like there's something so much bigger inside. So, that's today. The bigger feeling wants to come out. And my children keep saying to me that I have to step outside my comfort zone. <laughs> it's pretty hard just to take the first step and recognizing yourself is worthy of more than you've ever been treated with. Just accepting what's been offered, never wanting more for yourself. And I've kind of questioned our mentality for, for going into the military, for wanting more, knowing that we were built for much more than that, than, you know, perhaps some of us, the garbage we came from, because that's, that's what I remember hearing is um, we were a bunch of fucked up kids going nowhere fast. It's pretty harsh. You know, that person I remember saying that was the principal of a middle school that I went to in Florida. That, that principal... I just getting his name now. Um, I believe it was, we'll say S. Hunter. Um, he's still in the school system. But this is not about that. Um, this is about stepping forward to have our voices heard. And there's usually a catalyst. My children have been my catalyst. They're the reason why I'm still here, why I continue to push forward, because they don't deserve any of this shit. That's what it is. It's all shit. Um, and I'm just tired of it. Um, I know I have to heal. So I can be here for them. But I'm finding that so hard to do because there's just so many things constantly trying to push me under. And one of those things is this house that I purchased. I bought it 2007. I, uh, just got done doing a deployment. I um, fully volunteered for with, to be honest, I went with 
the thought, you know, it was a one-way ticket. I made arrangements. You know, I had, <clears throat> I was stationed in Rota, Spain. Um, you know, life had some challenges that threw, that came my way, and I didn't know how to handle those uh, challenges and the chain of command that was not going to stand by me to support me. So volunteering to go to Afghanistan was what I saw as a way out. Um, I didn't want to bring dishonor to anyone connected to me with what they say, taking the coward's way out and uh, doing it myself. So I thought, if I go to Afghanistan, it can mean something. I can be a part of something bigger than myself and be a part of the solution. Um, what was hard is uh, getting there and being seen as part of the problem. Um, I went in 2006. Um, it was interesting because I'm Navy, and I'm sure you have jokes running in your head right at this moment because I can hear them from way back then. What is the Navy doing in the desert? And my response would always be, we're looking for the water, and we're here to let to get the job done. That's what we do, right? Um, so I went alone. Individual augmentees, that's what they called us. And my command could not figure out um, you know, let me just say, I'm not gonna talk myself up, but, you know, I wasn't a dirtbag, you know, that's kind of funny to re-say all these years later, um, because you pretty much have a, a mental picture of, you know, what a dirtbag was back then. Um, no, I, I was good at my job. Um, I did a lot of things, and I was good at taking on just jobs. I always have to be busy. Uh, I can't just relax. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but I feel like I'm kind of spread out all over, which some of you may acknowledge. Uh, when your brain experiences trauma, your thoughts are always scattered. They're never focused. So they say it's ADD or ADHD. Yeah. Um, there's a couple different ways to help your brain process, uh, but this is uncut. I have not taken any Adderall today. Um, <laughs> so you're getting a raw, unfiltered version of 
where my mind goes and how hard it is to get unstuck and just figure out a, a clear thought. <clears throat> so, not a dirt bag. I was actually, you know, sailor of the quarter and sailor of the year for the European theater. And they couldn't figure out why I wanted to go. Um, yeah, when, uh, when your experiences become worse than the ones you came from, it tends to bring everything to the forefront of your mind. And what had happened was a friend attacked me, um, And I'm sure I need to, you know, say, you know, this is uncomfortable. It's all, it's all uncomfortable. Um, but that's a part of speaking our truth, is letting people know just how uncomfortable it is and how it affects our life and our kids. I uh, I remember thinking when this uh, this person was trying to rape me, you know, I'm not too keen on the term military sexual trauma. <clears throat> How many acronyms can you come up with just to to say what it is? Uh, an attempted sexual assault, but. I remember thinking, like, this would never happen again because I would be stronger. I would know better to put myself in situations. Huh. And here I was in my early 20s. And they say there's four things that can happen. Freeze, flight, fight, and there's actually another. It's called fawn. And perhaps within those, I don't even know how long, what my brain did and what my body did and what I was ultimately trying to pull myself out of All different things happening all at once. And it's hard to kind of go back to that place. But you can't move forward until you, you think about it and put yourself there. And I can tell you that your brain can heal. But you have to give it space. And an environment to give it a chance to heal. Because that's what your body's designed to do, is heal itself, if you want it to. So, that's what I was thinking as this person, uh, who was a friend, um, was actually my best friend's 
boyfriend. And while I was trying to fight, <clears throat> it was strange because I'm extremely strong, um, but I couldn't quite shift enough to be able to get free. Um, so I was fighting. Um, fighting so much, really. Um, and I, I did get away. And I'm so thankful. But... Hmm. So I, I ended up biting this person. Um, as my mouth was trying to be covered, I... Uh, I kept biting, trying to bite something. I finally got a hold of the back of his arm as he was trying to cover my face because um, everything else was pinned. I bit the back of his arm so hard in that, you know, that spot on the back of your arm. I'm sure you have goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, I bit so hard that it... I remember tasting, you know, I had bitten so hard that I did taste, um, blood and he scrambled. Um, he screamed so loud. Um, so I guess I should say I scrambled, um, as fast as I could running down a flight of stairs, uh, but I knew that I had to keep holding on to the wall. Um, and everything happens so fast. It's like you have to be in front of yourself to try to figure out how to get away. And um, that's where my brain's always been. Uh, they say that's what happens to our brains when we go over is... Uh, we're always having to be hypervigilant. So it changes how we process things. Well, this is already happening to me before I even went. So scrambling down these stairs, trying to remember the exact spot near the door where I had put my keys down because I was the designated driver. Grab my keys, scramble out the door, just hoping to get in my car. I get in my car and I do realize this person is running after me in, uh, in Rota, Spain, in this Spanish community. He tries to get into my car um, and I just lay on my horn I just kept on the horn until he realized that people were coming out of their houses at 7 something in the morning because it was daylight and then his roommate, which is why I actually went into the house 
to begin with. The other person we had gone out with was a good friend of mine. And all three of us had gone out at the beginning of the night. Um, And somewhere in the middle of the night, he disappears. He's not answering his, his cell phone. And I know him to be a heavy drinker, as most of us had become, um, trying to fill in that void, have a good time. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, um, I went into the house and started knocking on his door, which was locked. I kept knocking and yelling to make sure he didn't, I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I got that feeling, I was worried. Um, what I didn't expect was for this other friend to be behind me and eventually put his hand over my mouth and somehow pull me to the ground and pin me. And that's how it started. Um, While I was in my car, still holding the horn, and this other in front of my car telling me to shut the fuck up, um, to stop. My other friend wakes up and stumbles out the front door. And at that point, he gets off the front of my car and walks inside as the other friend comes towards my car. I end up locking everything, um, It was already locked, but I kept making sure it was locked. And uh, he had no idea what was happening. He couldn't hear me screaming. It seems like that's always the case is no one ever hears me screaming. Well, I'm not going to scream anymore, so maybe I can be heard a little better. He ends up calling me by the time I get to my apartment. And I lock myself in for what seems like days. I start just being late all the time. Um, I don't even care. And what's ridiculous is no one is questioning. They're just kind of covering for me. So it keeps getting worse. I I test it because I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel safe anymore. Um, And I finally did tell my chief. I was in my chain of command at the time. What he says to me, 
He asks me if it's worth throwing my entire military career in the garbage. And I look at him and I said, I didn't do anything wrong. He goes, it doesn't matter. It won't be about what he did. It'll be about what you didn't do and why you put yourself in that situation. (laughs) He actually called that guy in. Um, And in the middle of summertime, he's wearing his long sleeve, dunderee top, middle of summer. And uh, I remember seeing him and I had to go in my office and lock the door. Um, I just couldn't get why he would do that, why he would call him here. Um, He called him into his office and he asked him to take off his dunderee top. He couldn't actually make him take off his white T-shirt, which he had on. Um, He did see visible scratches, uh, but he wasn't able to see exactly where I bit because the T-shirt covered. He said the scratch marks were from his dog. He had a little dog named Chico. Um, Yeah. So... I had to let it go. I had to tell my best friend. And what was so horrible is I knew she would look at me a certain way. And she did. And, you know, it's so hard to think about that. To this day. But we're all doing the best we can. Right? And I I believe that. We really are all doing the best we can. So. That's how I got to Afghanistan. What I didn't encounter was being told I couldn't do anything because I was a female. And I'm thinking, wow. Why am I here? And I asked the question, like, why am I sitting at this desk? So that big calendar that used to be put on our desks, it was, uh, it's like torture for me, sitting there looking at it, that big square, all having different numbers. And the the part of the day that I would sit there and just wait to put a mark through the day as that day being done. But there were so many more days to go. So I did the next thing I could because I was progressively getting worse mentally. Um, I said, if you're not going to use me, send me back. And the response was, there's two ways you can leave. Wow, yeah. You can leave because you died, or you can kill yourself. Um, I remember thinking, like, 
wow, like this is insanity. So I did what I, I, I was good at my job, remember? I wrote her a question. There is no, no legal reason in the Uniform Code of Military Justice that would prevent me from doing a job because I was a member of the United States Armed Forces, right? We're a body in a uniform. No, no difference, male or female. So <clears throat> the first one, I wrote it. And it came back denied after it did not come back in the five to seven day window. <laughs> it took, oh gosh, I wish I could remember the exact time. Uh, I want to say it was close to like two weeks, two to four weeks. It was a really long time. Um, but it didn't have a reason for denial. You know, there's that extra little spot at the bottom that they have to write a reason. So I rewrote it. This next time, I want to say the first time it took two weeks. The second time might have been four weeks. It was one of the two. It was swapped. But finally came back approved with an asterisk that said there was a stipulation for me going on the missions. It would require me to have my own separate quarters because I was a female. And I don't think I'll get into what it was we were doing in this podcast, but uh, that's just a little little snip tidbit of the beginning of a story, but it's not the beginning of my story. I guess I should pull back out to give you a picture of where I am today <clears throat> in the situation I'm faced with. So I did get out. I did survive, I guess. Um, I think a lot of us feel like it would have been easier to come back missing something instead of coming back and looking like we're whole, whole people. What I'll speak on is what I was running away from in Spain it ended up catching me in Afghanistan. And um, it became my own personal living hell. Um, things became much worse. So when I, I made it to the final days of out-processing, <clears throat> I uh, flew straight here to South Carolina because I knew there was a bigger shit storm brewing in my head. Um, I knew I couldn't stay in regardless of all of the things I was being put up against. I'm not quite sure if you would say if it was a vision or what it was, but I honestly sat down and found myself spacing out 
looking at, you know, the proverbial crossroad or the fork in the road. Down the left path, staying in the military to fix more burdens that were placed on me when I was in Afghanistan. And seeing the military career that I thought I would have. And the other side of the fork, on the right-hand side, is getting out and facing those obstacles. No matter what they were. And trying to be free. You know, pursuit of happiness. That was our, uh, those are our rights. You can't take that away from somebody. The left path, I couldn't see myself alive. I couldn't see myself standing there in the future. But when I looked over to the right side, all of these insurmountable burdens, they seemed so heavy. But I could see myself standing there. Came to South Carolina, found a realtor, and I said I need to find a house and put an offer today. Um, he had no idea. He just kind of looked at me as if I was crazy, and we spent the day looking at different places. This is 2007. Uh, the summer... I say it was around May. So the housing market then was still floating. Um, I ended up finding a foreclosure. Um, <laughs> I don't know why this house. I, I kept looking when I was in Afghanistan. Uh, I had a plan, Um, but it was this house, and it had a living room with a blue mantle and blue baseboards. It was run down, disgusting. There were people squatting in it at one point. Um, It was broken. And when I think back on this, I associated a lot with this house. Like, no one wanted it. It had been a foreclosure sitting on the market. Um, right, it kind of spoke to me and, you know, is anything too damaged to be worthy of something, um, worth something? Or is it always just a lost cause? I always get stuck in these thoughts. Like the, uh, like the penny I found once. It was missing a hunk of copper in the actual penny. And I asked my girls, I said, what is this? (laughs) They always look at me and they're like, 
it's a penny. I said, is it? I said, um, do you think it's still worth a penny? Because it's missing some? And they just kind of think about it for a second and they're like, well, yeah, it's still a penny. So it's still worth a penny, one cent. And they didn't know. And honestly, I don't know. Like, if we're missing a part of ourselves, are we still worth what we were once valued at? I think so. It's hard. But, um, I guess this is where I've had to step outside my comfort zone, so. And knowing that I'm, I'm worth more. More than I thought, so. The uphill battle, which are so many more stories, but the point of this podcast is to start talking about what is happening now. I restored this house, went through the market crash. <laughs> I got out in October of 2007. Wow. What a time to be alive, right? Bought this house, needed to be fixed, had no job. I essentially crash landed into this house. It had no running water. Um, I did have the electrical turned on, but that was pretty shoddy even then. Um, And I did come back because I had, obviously, there's a gap of time. I had to go back to Spain and finish out my time um, until my chain of command, what was left, because there weren't many people left after all this time, <clears throat> original to the orders of when I got there. Um, yeah, I told my master chief, because he was still there. He kept telling me, he's like, you can't get out. And I said, I, I have to get out. I won't survive if I stay in. Um, and I don't think he really understood. Nobody knew what had happened, you know. I think we're, I know I have. Uh, I've been so accustomed to keeping so many secrets inside that it started to eat me from the inside out. And, um, you know, they say that's what disease is. It's the body's dis-ease of things. Um, and I don't want that anymore. <laughs> I want to be around for my kids. Um, I don't want to have to constantly fight my health. Because we... I don't know if when I say we, I kind of hope that this resonates with somebody else, but it could just be me. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, 
like shit's falling apart. <laughs> like I just turned 40 on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and life is just beginning. So. I got out, restored this house, so I thought. Um, 2017, I asked for help in re replacing the roof that was on the house. Um, I was living off of nothing. Um, you know, my stipend for my disability of what they had approved, which was nothing. Um, it was about, if I remember correctly, right around a thousand. Um, and I was already going through a divorce. Um, I had, uh, had the attorneys they sent notice to the VA right away. Took them two years, two years to acknowledge and change my stipend. Two years. I let them know right away. Divorce is final. Ah, oh, when that two years rolled around, I got this notice in the mail. It said, we have overpaid you for 24 months. You have received money that was not yours. We will be collecting those 24 months of your dependent stipend of $79 and decreasing your monthly benefit by $79 and taking it all back over the next 12 months. That put me at like $900. I was just baffled and I knew it was wrong. The attorneys told me that was illegal. And I told him, I said, do you really think that's going to stop them from taking it? I said, they don't care that I will lose my house. They don't care the financial hardship. I said, don't you get it? That's the point to push us to give up. Gosh. I remember just being so fired up about it. So pissed. How could they do this to anybody? They do. They do it. They get away with it. So what did I do? Yeah. Well, one, you know, any kind of... pride and it's it's not about pride like it's humbling because I couldn't keep going the way I was because things were obviously getting worse and I always knew they're you either wake up 
or if you choose not to acknowledge what's happening, it's going to keep getting worse. I'm a very faithful person. Uh, and I remember having to keep it all together when my kids were awake. Sometimes I'm not so great at that, but I apologize profusely to them and tell them that it is not them and that I was sorry and it is not their fault. So I wait till they go to bed seven o'clock because that's the other thing that happens when you uh, have brain trauma you start to feel like you have Alzheimer's early on onset of Alzheimer's as soon as the sun would go down I would start having a really hard time functioning and I never realized how many things I was actually trying to make easier for myself like unscrewing the toothpaste cap. Leaving it unscrewed on the counter of my bathroom. Just leaving things out, which kind of created a different problem of chaos. Every time I'd go to do a project, I couldn't seemed to finish the project because there was always something in the way. So I'd leave my tools out. Well, stuff always comes up and my tools are always still out. And I think, why can't I ever just get from point A to point B and wrap up the project and put it away? <clears throat> well, that's your brain's response to just trying to cope. So the sun would go down, try to put my kids to sleep. On bad days, I would have to, to rush through it, you know, try to read a story and catch my breath. Um, there would be times where I felt like I was having a heart attack. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? You have two little kids, and their mom is literally having a hard time breathing. They're 9 and 11 now. That's how fast time goes. And in those moments, I feel like the worst mom. Like, why can't I just keep my shit together? person can only handle so much before they break. And I feel like I have bent, been bent so many ways 
But I will not break because they don't deserve that. And I will not put them through that. Our kids deserve better. So this roof. <clears throat> I asked for help. There are all these organizations built on the foundation using the veteran's name to help move them forward. And I'm grateful for a lot of these organizations. Grateful they exist. But I am one person. And it, it really has started to bother me that if you overlook one veteran because of the benefit you receive from a huge company, is that really praiseworthy? You can't turn your back on one veteran because of your affiliation with a company with billions of dollars. Think about that. How ridiculous is it? I can't imagine all of the people who have had their roofs installed by this orange box store. I'm not even sure. Like the legal ramifications for speaking on this. Like I... Are they going to come arrest me? Are they going to seize my house? Like, I'm not sure. But I don't want to be told to be quiet. I My kids don't even say the word shut up. Because I find that to be one of the most disrespectful things that you can do to a person. Like, literally tell them to shut up. So, we don't say that. And I have not said that in a really long time. Because it really makes me mad. But that is what I've been told to do. I don't think so. I am done. So, I don't have anything. I, um constant, you know, struggles. I have sold anything of value in my house to get to the next step of where I need to be going. So I make do with what I have. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm so grateful for it because it's taught me some lessons about What's really important? Is, is all the stuff important? No. My kids are important. And um, So, <clears throat> 2017, not that long ago, had the roof replaced. 
I reached out to the Home Depot Foundation. Well, actually, I went through another nonprofit. And I always thought it was them who actually helped put the roof on. But when things uh, really started hitting the fan, when I started realizing there was a bigger problem than I could ever fix on my own, I reached out again. Um, and they corrected me and said, no, we didn't pay for it. The Home Depot Foundation paid for a three-tab roof on your home. I had had some money saved. I had only asked for help, which is so hard to do, right? That's outside my comfort zone because I'd been so accustomed for asking for help and never really getting true help. Like, like this is all we can do. Sure, all right. I am grateful. And I took it. Um, it's been blessing after blessing, figuring out all the cool shit that I can do on my own. <laughs> right? Um, you know. I can drywall like a beast because learning and sitting there how to do it, I'm thinking, like, this is just like icing a cake. It's got to be smooth, and there's steps. So that three-tab roof, I had enough money that I could buy an architectural shingle roof, which had a 30-year warranty. It was the better product, lasts longer. So I paid the additional amount. The amount was paid in gift cards from the Home Depot Foundation to Home Depot. That's what the official story was. And as the years have gone on, I have surpassed, I've reported nine leaks. <laughs> the roof is leaking everywhere. There are so many things wrong with it. And I have learned all I can learn about roofing systems, how shingles are supposed to be installed, you would think that the installers they found had to be qualified to to install these certified products, but somehow they weren't. And these uh, statute of limitations, they like plague me. Like I said, nine times. And it'll be a different podcast before I get into all of those waivers that I had to sign while I was living off of roughly $900 a month. Um, I will say that I had drywall upstairs fall, like literally collapse in my house. You should also know that there is mold growing in my house on every level. I have packed up my belongings more than once. Um, 
My kitchen is in boxes in my daughter's bedroom, which she is no longer sleeping in because the ceiling is taking on copious amounts of water. Like, and the walls and the ceilings are plastered downstairs. It takes years for water to start making its presence known. And that's where I'm at. I don't know how to proceed anymore. And I'm tired. It's like... (laughs) I keep doing the same thing, really praying that they're going to be like real conscientious people that know that I'm a human being and I can only withstand so much. I've even gone to the point of writing a letter to all of these insurance companies, the Home Depot, the Home Depot Foundation. No response. Hmm. Like the, um, I don't know if you've ever read Theodore Roosevelt's called his speech citizenship in a republic it was a speech that he gave in in france my memory is a little fuzzy with things that i try to recall on a dime i guess um but you're more familiar with an excerpt called The Man in the Arena. And that's kind of where I'm at. That I have to dare greatly. Dare greatly at what I love the most could potentially be taken away from me because of the situation that I've been put in. And being silenced. And I'm, I've done, (laughs) I keep doing the thing, right? Nine times in, I know the process. Except now, it's become apparent the entire roof, the entire roof, there's so much damage. It's just not the roof. It's the entire house. And I'm not going to settle. Because is that what I'm worth? To settle? Just to be carrying these burdens alone more? I've done that too. That's, right, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and constantly expecting a different result. Like, yeah, the fool. So I'll keep uh, sharing parts of my story. Um, 
maybe just to document it somewhere. But more, I hope it serves as encouragement, as my kids tell me, to step outside my comfort zone, mommy. It's okay. And it is. Like, what am I afraid of? I don't really, you know, we self-isolate. I'm good at that one. But things aren't going to get better if I don't talk about it. And I want this to be a catalyst for change. Start telling it how it is, not what it looks like. Because I go out, people think, wow, she's got her shit together. It's so easy to put a smile on for a little bit, isn't it? To keep all the messy stuff inside. Because nobody likes messy. It's too hard for them to look at. People are so accustomed to saying hello and goodbye. But when we encounter one of each other, you know, when one veteran meets another veteran who's been through the same struggle, like, you feel it. It's like an energy And you can see that look in their eye. I mean, I can. I recognize it. That deep hurt. When someone asks you how you are and you say, I'm okay. We know that okay is... I'm breathing. I'm surviving, not thriving. It's hard to remain small when there's an internal pill an, an internal pull to do something bigger. And that's where I am today. Thanks for listening if you actually <laughs> tuned in to listen to my first podcast. Thank you. My name is Lady Jane Unknown. I'm a female combat veteran. looking to help change